You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Hey friends, I've got some amazing new events coming up in October. I will be at the Ancient Mysteries Conference, which will be held in Virginia Beach and online. That is October 7th through the 10th, and my program will be on October 9th. I will be taking you through some of the Edgar Casey's Egyptian energy healing. And then coming up October 16th, I'm doing a long program online that you can take from the privacy of your own home, where we are going to go through all of the sections in the book, including some really powerful healing journeys that we'll take. And of course, we're going to work with the healing symbols and learn how to do the healing modality. So I hope you'll join me and you can find out more by going to pastlifelady.com and click on the events tab for more details. See you there. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I'm super excited because next week is the annual Edgar Casey Foundation Ancient Mysteries Conference. And so today I am joined by megalithomaniac, ancient alien star, Hugh Newman. Hugh, welcome to Healing Arts. Great, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yes. So um, we are all huge fans of your work. Um, And I I did see the latest episode of Ancient Aliens, which unbelievably is already in season 17. And you were there in episode one in Peru. And I know you've been doing a lot of work studying these um, polygonal rocks and materials that are showing up all over the world. And so I was wondering if you could just start there and tell us about your research. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, you mean the polygonal walls and the cyclopean walls? Yeah, they're very interesting. Obviously, the most famous ones are in places like Sacsayhuaman, Cusco in Peru. And basically, just people aren't aware what they are. They're like these ridiculously large, very strangely kind of almost puffy but precision cut stones with irregular joins and so they look like they're a jigsaw it's really quite bizarre the fact that they were doing this with stones you know 100 going up to hundreds of tons is pretty 
pretty amazing. And so there's this ridiculous high level of sophistication and megalithic technology that was going back, uh, you know, several thousand years in Peru, but they're also found everywhere. They're found in, you know, we've been researching in Italy, we've been researching in Greece, um, there's other places, even like Albania and Japan, um, and even Easter Island has them as well. Uh, so it's, it's one of these very strange traditions that, it's also found to some degree in Egypt as one of some of the older temples there, and even on the facing of two of the pyramids on the Giza Plateau, not the Great Pyramid, but the other two. And so, yeah, you get things like that. And obviously, you know, Ancient Aliens loves that kind of thing, so that, that they, they've been covering it quite in depth. But, um, yeah, I actually did a whole project, uh, lecture kind of project thing on that uh, a few years ago, put it up on YouTube, uh, uh, and also at a Megalithomania conference, because it's such a compelling... Um, aspect of the ancient mysteries. It, it is really amazing. I watched your YouTube and I'm going to put a link to your YouTube channel. You've got so much great information out there. You were talking about um, the idea that these um, walls and things, you really believe that the Incans did not create those, that those were already something that they discovered Correct. Yeah. Uh, basically, when they the Inca first turned up in you know, 14, 1500s, they are quoted as saying that when the Spanish turned up, not, not you know not too long after that, a couple of hundred years after that, that they were there when they arrived, and they just kind of constructed around them. Uh, and tradition states that they were built by a giant race in deep prehistory, and this is what the Inca were telling the Spanish. And so, you know, you've got this super ancient kind of foundation all throughout Peru. You've even got it at Machu Picchu, which the Inca added to. You've got it at um, places like, obviously, Sacsayhuaman, all over Cusco, even, you know, Lake Titicaca area with the pot, with the, 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 the uh, Chulpa Towers, which are these circular towers with roofs on, which is the same kind of design. Um, and so, yeah, they were certainly there before the Inca, but who they were, we don't know. Probably they were descendants of the people who built Tiwanaku and Pumapunku down in Bolivia, um, because there's evidence of ancient, very ancient high technology there as well. Absolutely fantastic. You just returned from a trip overseas, and um, I was on your YouTube channel. Again, I'm going to leave the links. You were filming a tomb of a giant, and I know you've written some books with Jim Vieira on that. And so tell us what you uncovered on your latest adventure. Well, we were running, uh, it was like a tour, really. We were running a tour that got postponed for about a year or two because of COVID and all that. And uh, we've been there, I've been there like three or four times already. And uh, we were running a tour, but I always go a bit early and stay a bit later so I can actually do a bit of, you know, exploring myself. But one of the things I'm fascinated by is these so-called giant's tombs that are found all over Sardinia. There's 800 have been recorded. They're like basically like long barrows, so like megalithic long kind of chambers where you can virtually walk into some of them with this huge forecourt, this sort of frontage, which is curved with this chamber going back. And often there's a big tablet stone at the front with a hole. And these are really thin stones forming this forecourt with the chamber going back. You can actually crawl into them. Um, and there's, if you look at them from above, they look like a bull's head. This is kind of what they're thought to represent. But there's, there's traditions that they were built by these mountainous giants who used to rule Sardinia. 
who came from overseas many thousands of years ago and they would build these chambers and bury themselves in there kind of thing this is this is how the story goes there's also legends of giantesses throwing stones into place Sardinia we've got accounts there we've got two over eight foot skeletons were found uh, near one of these giants graves in the very northern part of Sardinia a place called Porto Torres very close to a pyramid there actually called uh, Monte da Cody which is goes back 4000 to 4000 BC and then we've got another account from 1901 that talks about a nine foot skeleton being found in one of these graves and so this is really strange that you actually have accounts in the historical record of skeletons that large being found in what are called giants graves uh, or giants tombs and they're, they're very in designs there's lots of different they're often oriented to very specific astronomical events um uh, some are perfectly north some are perfectly south most are to the east sort of northeast southeast representing the sunrise at various times of year then certain moon cycles and they're very sophisticated the way they're built as well uh, and they go back to at least 1800 bc although there's proof now that they get they could go back to about a thousand years older than that um there's been some evidence has been coming out so that they're really strange structures and they're absolutely fascinating i mean they're really beautifully carved stones they've kind of got 3d relief carvings on them um and they're just like one of these explorable aspects of uh, the mediterranean which uh you know absolutely blows my mind i can't get enough of them to be honest with you <laughs> yeah speaking of that i wanted to ask how did you first get so interested in this is this something you've done since childhood or what got you into all this yeah i've kind of been interested in um the more esoteric sort of uh paranormal supernatural kind of stuff since i was very young uh i used to subscribe to this quite well-known magazine called the unexplained magazine which was like the forerunner of the x-files and all this kind of stuff um and uh yeah i got fascinated by things like crop circles and earth energies and mysteries in the landscape and they kind of drew me into the megalithic um in britain but then i realized hang on a sec this is this is everywhere around the planet so you just i've got, I've got a real taste for kind of traveling and exploring and going off you know on my own and with my partner jj just looking around um and haven't stopped since that was like 20 20 years ago or something wow yeah i do um past life regressions and i'm kind of fascinated by this idea that the soul wants to return to places that it's lived before and so i have to ask because i'm so curious when you go to these places are there is there something within you that feels like wow this is familiar this is a place i've been in the past or i don't know i was just wondering if you've ever had that feeling before yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah you get that get that quite a lot i get this it's quite a strange thing where you kind of dreamt moments in a dream and then months later you'd visit a place and that's that moment you dreamt you know months beforehand so yeah i do get that quite a bit we've had some very strange experiences at specific sites where very odd things have happened um you know if i filmed balls of light going up pyramids and things like that um we've had very strange paranormal activity uh yeah so yeah so it's it, i, I kind of i'm quite careful when i travel and go to some of these places because they're like seriously kind of rich in spirit and kind of uh you know ancestors and possibly aliens who knows you know there's something strange going on it's, i mean it, there's this place called saturnia that we visited in italy and this was like back in 2018 and 
this is like a super ancient site it's said to be a burial ground of giants all these dolmens chambers and things like that we arrived there and i sensed something before we got there like half a mile away i said this is this something's wrong you know this is we should, you know, I don't even know if we should go here. I felt something in my solar plexus go, mm, we need to like be careful. And like, so I, I sort of, you know, asked the permission of the spirit guardians, all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, my partner and I just blood went straight in there after we did that. And suddenly, you know, we were hearing voices, seeing things. This tree snapped in half on a dolmen. Um, all sorts of stuff was going on. It's like some kind of weird portal was kind of occurring and something like that. So that's just one example, but there's been a few others like that as well. Wow, that is amazing. So do you have a favorite place of all the places that you've been? No, no, I don't. No, <laughs> I can't. It's too many. Yeah. It's, they're all too good. They're all my favorite. How about that? It's a bit, yeah, bit Zen The one at the moment <laughs> is always the favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're at right now. That's it. That's it. The other one I wanted to ask you about um, is Gobleki Tepe and the idea the Turkish government just said that they are finding about 11 more sites around that area. And what do you think about that area and who might have inhabited it? And, and what are you making of these new sites that are being unveiled? Yeah. Well, they haven't technically revealed which sites these are. Uh, so I've been talking about this with Andrew Collins, actually, about, you know, trying to work out what sites that we think we know which ones they mean. They're probably talking about Karahan Tepe. They're probably talking about Nabali Churi. They're talking about uh, there's a few other Tepe sites that have been discovered. Artifacts have been found there. Um, but, you know, we're waiting to hear really exactly what the, what they mean. But the, what's really interesting is that Karahan Tepe is being excavated right now. Me and Andrew have been there, Andrew Collins, a few times, you know, last time in 2018, before it was excavated, where we just had the tops of these T-pillars sticking out of the ground, uh, sticking out of this sort of artificial mound. Um, and we got to know, yeah, we got to know the family. We have lunch and tea there and things like this. It's quite funny. Um, but now they're excavating. They've got this university coming in, and they're finding all sorts of stuff there, which could be older than Gebekli Tepe, according to them. So that's the case. That's really intriguing. Um, but yeah, there's potentially eleven or twelve sites, but we know there are that many. There were technically about twenty that we know of that have been discovered. So it could be any ones of those. They're kind of trying to make. I think they're trying to kind of promote it and get people tantalized by it a little bit. Um, but having been to Quebecly Tepe, Carahan Tepe, and seen the museum there and a few other sites, it's, it's a really interesting place. And, you know, I believe it was the, the location, as Andrew said, he talks about this, that it's the location of the Watchers, the early kind of Anunnaki or the kind of uh, Shining Ones. It's their territory. And, if, and they were master stonemasons and agriculturists and things like this, and shamans. So they would have, if anyone made it, they're the ones who made it. And it was, a, it was kind of like um, a temple, you know, a memory. And they kind of, they, they kind of repaired it when they finished using it after a thousand years of use and hid it, you know, but knew that in the future it would be found again and it would reveal all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's who I think did it. And I think that, you know, there's going to be a few revelations as they keep digging and finding more of these sites, I'm sure. Speaking of that, it is so interesting. I, I think about consciousness and how, you know, there has to be a certain number of people in consciousness to make really big shifts. And even 20 years ago, we were just not finding as many discoveries as we are now. I mean, one is the technology, 
But I, I also have always believed that until there's enough people in consciousness who can even accept the reality of some of the things that you and I are talking about, then they won't even be uncovered. I mean, all of the amazing things they're finding everywhere you go in the Mediterranean, here's a sunken city. They just, um, un they're unearthing Canopsis and just all of these others. Um, you mentioned Corral in Peru and some of these other sites. So do you think this is a function of consciousness combined with technology? And what is it really saying? Like, are, are we really getting ready to receive an enlightenment of some kind? And do you think the aliens will come and, you know, wh whatever. I, I just want to know what your thoughts are on this kind of okay. stuff, I guess. Yeah, kind of, it's kind of a quite a wide open question. <laughs> yeah, that's not really a question, I guess. I just want to know your thoughts about why, why are we finding all this? Well, I think it's just a case of like, you know, I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of the seabed. You know, there's like, you know, for instance, off the coast of Sicily, they found this 40 foot tall megalith, uh, which is like, 150 feet down and so what on earth how did that get there what was there you know that kind of thing uh there's new dating has been uh uncovered of places like the temples of malta they're now being pushed back to very close to the edge of the, the end of the gebekli tepe era um and you know you know and that's that's kind of start startling a few people there's lots of stuff around where i live near stonehenge which is uh all getting pushed back the dates um, and everything like this. You've got places like Blickmead, you've got like the Durrington shafts and things like that. And so, yeah, and uh, obviously with the LIDAR, loads more is being found in places like Mexico and Guatemala as well. So there's endless amount of possibilities. And I think there's so many layers of eras and epochs that we're just starting to penetrate as we go deeper into the earth and deeper under the sea that right. I think we're always going to keep finding stuff. You know, I think there's like major cataclysms took out various places and, um, and that's going to cover things up very deeply. Things were deliberately buried like the Begley Tepe. Um, and it just takes time and effort just to uncover a site. You know, you might, you know, see a stone sticking out of the ground. There might be a whole city under there for, you know, you know, because it gets covered up. So I think, yeah, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a very interesting time of like revelation when it comes to this. So let's just wait and see. Absolutely. One of the things I was surprised to learn um, after reading your books is the idea that there's over a thousand stone circles in Great Britain. Yeah. I don't think people widely are, uh, maybe they are now, maybe they're getting there, but I didn't think people were widely aware of that because Stonehenge is just so popular. It seems like it's, it's the one everybody wants to talk about. Well, Stonehenge is like utterly unique. There's nothing quite like it. It's, um, it's got you know it's precision designed engineered it's got lintels all the way around all perfectly carved stones with the blue stones from wales in it it's got this entire landscape temple around it um all the other stone circles are kind of rough hewn stones pretty much they're not precision engineered like stonehenge stonehenge is unique utterly unique avebury is much much bigger encompasses an entire small village um stretches for several miles yeah no one's really not many people have even heard of that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I've done, yeah, I've done my little book on stone circles, so I kind of explored as many as possible. But some are tiny, some are like ten feet wide, with two foot tall stones. So don't get too excited about <laughs> some of them. But some are remarkable, like Stanton Drew, which is like a huge triple stone circle, which stretches over two or three acres, um, and has outlier stones going off for half a mile away and things like that. And, you know, there's so many and they're all connected up. That's, that's what people don't realize. There's a kind of, there's a national kind of grid 
of these circles and they're all connected. They're all kind of very specifically placed at specific latitudes to make certain astronomical observations from the only work at certain latitudes. And so that's why you get such precision stuff going on way up north in Orkney and on the outer Hebrides at Kalanish. And you get them right down south in Cornwall and down in Brittany as well in France, where you've got this sort of uh, different latitudes where you can make different observations from. And like actually, you can actually do, if you do it correctly, you can measure the entire earth by doing that. And so this is what I think that it was part of the process of what they were doing. But they're also more local, you know, they were like harnessing the energies. They were like, sort of, you know, trapping the natural telluric currents and using that for agriculture, consciousness mm -hmm. expansion, uh, fertility and ritual and things like this. So there's, there's many different aspects to these stone circles and they were kind of multi-purpose technologies. Absolutely. One of the other things I recently heard was about Atlet Yam off the coast of Israel, which is the sunken city, that the stone circle there and the people who lived there could have been some of the earliest farmers. And then when they traced the DNA evidence of the people who lived in Great Britain, they're starting to think that these people actually came from the Mediterranean and could have been those same stone builders that that was the first one. And then they went on to make all of the other ones that are scattered yeah. around Britain. So yeah, Adelaide, yeah, I mean, that's like, it's a very interesting site. It's like a semicircle of stones. It's built around a natural spring as well. What's also interesting there is that they have cut marks in the stones, like sort of little pocket cut marks. You get those at Gebekli Tepe as well, hundreds of them. You get them in Britain as well. You get them in um, Sardinia, you get them everywhere. They're, they're kind of, it's like something they were doing. They were carving these little cupules out of the stone. I think to tune the stones, it was like a tuning technique personally. So the fact you were getting that Gebekli Tepe, then Adelit Yim, which I believe is about six, 7,000 years old, it's completely under the water, isn't it? It's like 40 feet under the water. And right. also all, all over the Bible lands, you have stone circles uh, there as well. And they're called Gigal. And there's a certain name for them. They're mentioned twice in the Bible as well, even, you know, so that they're, they're quite well known um, in that area. And, uh, and they're often connected with giants in the area, much like they are in Britain as well. Um, but yeah, there's DNA evidence connecting not just the Mediterranean, but the Bible lands and certain parts of Anatolia or Turkey with influxes of kind of, you know, movements and migrations heading towards Europe. And you see this trail of megalithic construction, almost like kind of moving, you know, like that in that direction. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's certainly the case. There's like an influence coming from the area, but now they're finding extremely ancient stuff here as well, and in Ireland and Scotland. So, what was going on? It's like, it's almost like it emerged all at once. But you know, we have to admit the Gebekli Tepe was the genesis of all this kind of stuff. Absolutely, it's yeah, it's interesting when you think about migration of peoples because everybody's talking about all of the great civilizations and they died out. But now they're saying that even the Mayans, um, there's some evidence that suggests they built some canoes and that they may have landed on the coast of Florida and into Georgia. They're finding sites they think that were our Mayan ruins if somebody could just get in there and excavate them. So, you know, what do you think about the migrations of people? Don't you think that sometimes they don't disappear? They actually migrate just like yeah, for sure. any yeah. people would? 
Yeah, no, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, 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 to me, that's a no-brainer. Of course, they were kind of using boats. They were using the sea, sea, uh, sea lanes, you know, to get around the world. They were hugging the coast as they sailed around. Uh, I mean, it, if you look at the, you know, the people like Thor Heriadal or and, and various other researchers, we've got to be mentioning in our new book as well, actually, about this idea that even from North America, there's a really simple. If you just jump on a raft in a spe specific spot off the east coast of North America, you'll end up in Ireland that's just what will happen you know uh, as long as you've got enough food and supplies you can actually do that going the other way is harder so you go really hard to go from britain to america so but going the other way i mean there's actually native americans turned up in ireland in the, in the 1500s who met christopher columbus before he went to america um no one even knows this even happened but we've got we know it did and they were really tall they were like giants weirdly and we mentioned that in our new book um but there's you know so yeah i think that's just a you know inevitable you know if you're going to travel number one you're safe if you're off the coast you're not going to get attacked if, if you're going over land you, you're easy targets you're easy prey so you can easily hug the coast you've got you can fish for food you can come on safe bits of land whenever you want and the whole world would have been like this i'm sure yeah, I think there's been a lot of speculation that maybe these people got sucked up by a spaceship, but now it seems there's more evidence that maybe, you know, like you said, they maybe got well, in a little canoe and went somewhere. <laughs> they might have done, but they might have also got sucked up by a spaceship. Well, they so might. Some areas, yeah. yeah, who knows, you know, it's quite, it's quite plausible if you look at like ancient aliens and all the weird kind of hieroglyphs that kind of show that kind of thing around yeah. the world. It's, it's pretty strange. Yeah, Chaco Canyon. I grew up in New Mexico, USA, so Chaco Canyon and all the figures there. And now they're saying the Anasazi also, they'll probably migrated out of that area, but it is kind of interesting. Well, that so I guess I have to ask this. So do you believe that getting back to our first um, talking point about the polygonal walls, do you believe that these were crafted by extraterrestrials or some higher intelligence and moved there? Or do you think it was just sound frequencies or how do you really think they I think it's I, I mean I've got to be honest with you when you first go to these sites I mean anyone who's been there will probably say this it feels like when I went to Egypt it was the same when I went to Peru it's like yes. oh my god it's like who could have done that I mean Gebekli Tepe's it as well it's like it's so sophisticated it's so big it's like what mind could have come up with that like you know even today you wouldn't be smart enough and artistic enough and abstract enough to come up with that so it's easy to assume it's aliens because it's so challenging and we don't we can't recreate it that's what's right. that's what's odd so this is why it's easy to go down that route and, and there might be some reality to that i, I'm, I can't dismiss that because right. you know uh, you know i'm a regular on ancient aliens number one but secondly it's kind of like you know we can't recreate the technology so who could have done it and why did they create such a weird abstract almost surrealist kind of designs i mean what would would a bunch of people just living in peru five thousand years just come up with that they must have been absolute yeah. kind of geniuses you know who were like taking loads of psychotropics to kind of enhance their consciousness or something just to come up with that so you, we have to kind of you know keep keep that in mind but you look at um in peru there's like there is this there is this strange there's two things there's things that grow in the jungle that are certain kind of strange plants that can melt stone to some degree there's also a um a kind of very toxic red kind of 
kind of nasty stuff that comes up out of the ground, which which is like full of chemicals, and that can burn through rock as well. So it may have been a combination of utilising that technology with sound technology to actually create it. Um, and also there's legends that state giants were doing right. it as well, because in, in most traditions around the world, the giants were the master builders, they were the master masons, they were the metal workers, they were like, they, they had like workshops underground. They knew how to manipulate stone and the, their secrets were stayed with them in their elite groups only. And, uh, and all the tradition state was those who built all these sites virtually everywhere on the planet. So it may be right. more like that. It might be that kind of thing we're looking at. Yeah, there's still that idea, that that consciousness, like you said, everything from the ziggurat of Mesopotamia to the Great Pyramids, and we've got Teotihuacan and all these other pyramids showing up, but yet these people couldn't have possibly communicated with each other, or or could they? I don't know. I mean, they you must do have, have to start looking at it. I mean, they must have done. I mean, it's like you can't you can't just come up with such abstract technologies in different parts of the world independent independently it's too strange it's too specific you know it's like it's, you know so there must have been either literally physical travel and communication or there may have been this kind of who, who knows they might have had the internet of some sort you know they might have been communicating using this technology may have been part of an internet that the ancients were using or they were use, utilizing their minds to like communicate telepathically and things like this i mean there's there's a lot of possibilities we just don't know we just don't know what was really going on so and we see how advanced they were we see the level of um shamanism and like magic that they seem to employ um it's really to a level we're not we're not adepts of anymore yeah the other thing that was so interesting that they've also just uncovered um is the idea that the astrological alignment of like Teotihuacan is in alignment with the Acropolis in Greece and a couple others, but not exactly with the pyramids. And so now they're speculating that, that they might've occurred at a different period of time when the poles were aligned just slightly different. There's a book that's come out about that. And it's just so fascinating, you know, as you've said, I mean, how are they going to know any kind of astrological alignment? And, and I, I saw your research about these polygonal walls that even they are measurements of some kind that yeah. have to do with the stars. I mean, this just isn't even possible. It is. I mean, think about it though. They got these people, they didn't have distractions like we have, you know, we don't have, they don't have TV and jobs and things like that. You know, they didn't have to work, you know, it was, everything was probably provided for them, for them by all the kind of, you know, the, the cultural kind of groups. And so, the elites probably had plenty of time on their hands and they were experimenting. And I think that that might be what it was like because they, there was, you know, there was just obviously in, in Britain, we have the Druids who maintained the, these traditions of uh, the earlier megalith orders, but they passed it all down orally. It was all like word of mouth. It was all very specific codes within Bardic kind of poetry and stories. And so also ingrained this was part of the building of the sites would be like almost like memory code for this information and so also they were working very specifically with the higher level of communication and language which is geometry mathematics and uh, metrology which is the study of ancient measure because 
if you look at places like Stonehenge, for instance, they incorporate about six different global measurement systems into one site, but you have to know about them to decode the information that's actually within that. Same with the pyramids, there's very specific measurement systems. And this is really the ultimate timeless universal language. Uh, again, mathematics combined with geometry, combined with uh, orientation, combined with spatial alignments uh, and distance between sites and things like this, um, and uh, also locating and specific GPS coordinates because they were clearly measuring the Earth whilst they were creating this, this system around the planet. And so, you know, this was a high level scientific group who were doing this. And I think it's beyond what we think, you know, we don't think like this anymore. We don't, we don't get taught mathematics and geometry like that at school anymore. So we don't have that in our culture. They did. And it was all very much part of their upbringing, part of their design, part of their culture. And and uh, numbers were the key to everything. It wasn't language because language gets lost, gets forgotten. That's why they didn't even write things down hardly. They wanted to uh, communicate it orally, you know, through different, uh, they could pass that down through multiple generations until they get wiped out, unfortunately, by the Romans. But that's just the way it was. But, um, but much of the information was encoded into these sites. I think that's, that's, that's what's important. And we can decode it now. Do you think that decoding these things is going to assist us and hopefully um, advancing ourselves? It does. It does way? that automatically because, you know, it was such a high level of consciousness group who created these sites. They put all that into them, you know, but they knew that only people who could reach that level of consciousness would be able to see it and understand right. it. And so, but it's, they're always there. So it's always challenging people just by being there. And so they build it out of big, massive stones and earth and things like that can't be moved. So it's almost taunting people with its intellect, you know, over thousands of years. And so it's ch it's challenging people just by its presence, you know. And I think that's right. that's what this is all about. It's like they were they were really compassionate. These builders they were like doing it for the future generations, realizing we need to maintain this level of higher consciousness. Otherwise, we're going to go into the dark realm like kind of written now it feels like you know when it, and, and this is like um a way to kind of remind ourselves of this higher level and i think that's that's what these sites were partly for us why they're so compelling to us and that's why it's, it's it's a challenge to try and understand them because they were created with such intellect and uh you know this this, this level of um uh consciousness Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like any good art. It's challenging you just by being, which is good. And we definitely yeah, need it right now. That's the other thing. It's art. And I think, I think that, that, that challenges, because you look at, you look at, like, like I said, you look at Gebekli Tepe, you look at the polygon walls, you look at, you know, the designs on, you know, the kind of obelisk things like that. It's, it's really artistic. It's abstract. You can't quite get, you can't, it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't quite get your head around it. You have to, it challenges you. And I think that's really important. But then it takes you into, forces you to see it and try and understand it. And then you find all these other things that I've been talking about within this. And this is where the teach, the kind of almost like you're getting taught by these megaliths. I think that's, uh, I think that's a really important aspect that's overlooked. Absolutely. I think it's also um, because of the way I think is that it, it is making that soul connection for those who maybe we're here back in those earlier times 
Because if we can tap into the memories that we've had when we were here in other incarnations, maybe we can bring some of that forward to yeah. assist some of the challenges that we're having now. Yeah, that, there is that, isn't there? Because it's like, you know, with like these sites, like, well, I think I think Edgar Casey was into this, the whole idea of crystal technology. And like well, these sites, are like, a lot of this type of stone is like high percentage of quartz and things like that, which right. records information. And I'm sure they were recording into the sites and intent, putting intentions into these sites and doing magic and ritual to like, almost like kind of, you know, put it, you know, put that element into the sites themselves so future generations could go there and kind of sorry could go there and kind of receive that from their ancestors you know from in later times as well these were often like ancestral sites and so there's like a combination of like applying i think they were like high level magicians sorcerers um yeah. witches wizards all this kind of stuff i i, I think they were that as well and I, but I think they were kind of were able to kind of have a kind of connection with the future you know and like and, and with the past and actually kind of incorporate that into these sites and this is why these are timeless immortal sites they last forever they're designed to last forever they're almost impossible to destroy and so they become um you know like an important part of everyone's life and they you know we just we come and go the pyramids don't they, they're there forever absolutely speaking of Edgar Casey, um I had written a book about the Egyptian readings within the Casey material. And Casey had claimed that he was um, an Egyptian high priest, but that he um, joined a group who were near Mount Ararat, which is where they believe Noah's Ark landed, and that they then made the exodus down into Egypt in 10,500 BC, which back in the old days, you know, when Edgar Casey was alive, people thought that was completely nuts. And now look at where we're at. I mean, Gobekli yeah. Tepe is exactly. so much yeah. older than even that. And so this I thing know. is not only plausible, it's probable. I agree. Yeah. I mean, you've got dating now in Egypt. I mean, some of the traditions of Egypt, you know, before even the, 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 the Pharaonic Age, before the followers of Horus, there was a time of the gods that go back, what, 35, 40,000 years. And so, you know, you've got that combined with what's being found at places like Gobekli Tepe. It's a whole kind of smoking gun kind of reality check that we need to, you know, we need to change the way we see the past now. Cause I think, you know, the stuff that Casey and, you know, other, other prophet, other prophets really have, have come up with, there's so many little things that just have just happened. It's like some, a lot of it's happening now, it seems, um, you know, you have to kind of look at this kind of carefully, <laughs> kind of sort of take it as a sort of, you know, there's, there could be something in this. And this is why I think as well, you know, it's, it's always worth looking at, uh, traditions and legends and folklore very very seriously and like right. taking information from that because you know how to read it you know all these, there's different kind of levels of information within one story for those that are initiated into different levels of understanding and so one story might sound just like a story to someone but to someone who understands it's like it's, it gives you this all these different levels of information and knowledge and wisdom that other people who haven't been through that initiation won't understand so there's like you know this folklore is worth retaining and maintaining you know even even modern times yeah because like you said i mean these people had a lot of concerns 
namely staying alive, you know, surviving, getting food. So the fact that they would take the time to create these myths and legends, um, they don't do those things by accident. There's got to be a reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, most places didn't have the written the written language. So it's like uh, uh, the traditions, the stories were, were it. This is the only way we're going to record everything. And I think that was why they were so important. Um, and they need to be cherished, really, you know, and remembered and not forgotten because, you know, modern times, you know, you know, religions try and destroy, you know, the ancient kind of pagan knowledge, but actually they're complete morons actually they shouldn't be doing that they should just leave it alone and respect it and like nurture that because there's stuff in there they're never going to understand um from their narrow-minded perspective so it's worth it's worth keeping all that in mind yeah yeah i just got back from greece this summer and um i went to uh knossos on crete ah i think i had a past life there i just found out recently though that they said that the man who excavated the Nosos Minoan Palace um, really didn't value a lot of the everyday goods of the more common people. And a lot of that archaeological evidence was destroyed, you know, in favor of let's let's just get the stuff that the rulers had because we don't care about the common people. Probably, so even, yeah. You know, the yeah. respect wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're actually heading over there in a couple of weeks, funnily enough, to Crete. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, Say but hi there's, to it for yeah, me. I love it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it does happen like that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, so much stuff gets stolen or sold off and disappeared. All the, probably a lot of the good stuff is in private collections. Um, we may never see it, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and then you've got all the Egyptian tomb robbers. Wherever they put that stuff, who knows? Yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, fortunately, there's an abundance of stuff yes, to find. There, exactly. So Lots of stuff gonna, out there. We're not going to get not going to go too short on that you know all right well Hugh it's been a complete joy to connect with you everybody is looking forward to seeing you at the ancient mysteries conference in October and just wishing you tons of continued success on ancient aliens your books your website your YouTube channel is incredible we'll have all the links to your books and everything below and so right. let us know your website address where people can reach you yeah, it's just uh, megalithomania.co.uk. Uh, I just want to mention this because this is what I'm going to be presenting at the actual, because uh, I know Jim Vieira is going to be physically yes. at the conference. I'm, I'm coming in, I'm zooming in. This is the new book. This is a draft copy, The Giants of Stonehenge in Ancient Britain. Uh, it's got this, you know, not for resale thing on it, but actually that's going to be available at the conference. There's also this one I've just come out with as well called geomancy and this uh this is the this is co-authored with several other authors um um basically it's got one of my earlier earth grids books in it with updated with a few other books looking at all the geomantic aspects of uh you know ancient sites and things like that so there's a few new things that and i'm going to be covering both of these both of these subjects in my lecture at the conference so i look forward to that fascinating fascinating and yes friends guess what the in-person portion of the conference, if you wanted to go, is sold out, but you can watch this whole conference online. You can stream this from the privacy of your own home and check out all of the amazing speakers. Hugh, of course, is going to be there. Jim Vieira, his co-author, um, John Van Auken, Scott Creighton, and many more. And I will be there as well.
And we want you to come and beam in and check this out coming up on October 7th through the 10th. So check it out. And Hugh, blessings to you. Continued success in all you do. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravee spontaneous past life memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places and what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others. And it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady.